It's Tuesday, July 5th, and you're listening to Nutty in New York. And I'm your host, Martin Nutty. I'm going to talk about the Senate filibuster today. I know that will make your hearts go pitter-patter, but before I go there, I just want to make a quick programming note. I took a week off last week to think a bit about the podcast. And after reflecting a little bit, I realized I need to up the frequency and maybe shorten the duration of the podcast itself. Why? Because the news is coming quick and fast. And so going forward, I hope to put these episodes out on Tuesdays and Thursdays. They'll be a little bit shorter, hopefully a little bit punchier. And with that, on to the subject of today's episode the Senate filibuster. Now, the Senate filibuster has been in the news a lot of recent. Back on June 6th, Josh Marshall of the Talking Points Memo, which is a liberal blog, published an op-ed in the New York Times about the need to combine a legislative effort to enact the Roe v. Wade decision along with a promise to eliminate the filibuster specifically for that enactment. Which got me thinking a little bit. I agree with Josh Marshall. I think Democrats most definitely should make that part of their political campaign for the upcoming midterm elections in November. It's not simply enough to say that you're against the overturn of Roe v. Wade. You have to promise to voters exactly what you're going to do. And what you promise has to make meaningful change. So if you want to enact the Roe decision into law, the only way you're going to do that right now in a very evenly balanced Senate is to eliminate the filibuster to pass that enactment. And that got me to thinking about the filibuster as a general matter. In truth, I think a lot of Americans really don't understand exactly what it is. So let's give a quick sketch of it. The filibuster is a parliamentary maneuver. Essentially, it's a way of talking a bill to death. In past times, it was rarely used in the Senate. The most obvious case in recent memory was Southern senators attempting to block civil rights legislation in the 1950s and 1960s. But in more recent years, especially the last 20 years, the filibuster has been used repeatedly, primarily by the Republican Party. How frequently compared to times past? Well, take a look at the chart that I'm going to post in the show notes of this episode. It's quite stunning. And what the chart shows is the number of cloture votes. Now, sometimes I kind of wonder about the use of words just to confuse voters. What exactly is cloture? Essentially, it is a parliamentary procedure to stop talking about a bill. In other words, stop talking a bill to death. And in order to stop people to talk, you need 60 votes. So a vote of cloture is a vote to overcome the filibuster. And what form does the filibuster take in the Senate itself? 
Well, a filibuster is invoked usually by the minority party. Right now that means the Republican Party. And it requires at least 60 votes in order to stop people talking. So it's a very powerful tool which has been used repeatedly over the last 20 years. And it's been used far more frequently by the Republican Party. So I think we've gotten to a point where we need to get rid of the filibuster, not just for the enactment of Roe v. Wade, but for the good of the country. Because it's pretty darn hard to enact a law in the United States. And indeed, many Americans don't really know exactly how a law comes into existence. So let's do a quick thumbnail sketch. To pass a law into America, a bill which lays out the law needs to be created either in the Senate or the House. If it's created in the House, it must pass the House with a simple majority. Then that bill goes to the Senate. And to pass the Senate, it merely needs 50 votes, but if the minority party doesn't like it, a filibuster can be used to block vote on the bill, and 60 votes is needed to pass that. Now, once you jump through those two and a half hoops, then the final step is for the President of the United States to sign the bill into law. Now, that's a legislation mechanism that might be fine in 19th century America. But 200 years later, we need to be a little bit more nimble if we're going to make our government work for us. And that got me thinking to, why exactly do Republicans use the filibuster so much? And the truth is, there's only really three things that they care about. Tax reductions, regulation elimination, and divisive social issues. So let's talk a little bit about tax reductions. Who wants them? Well, unsurprisingly, wealthy folks. And there's been a big push ever since the Eisenhower era to consistently, continually reduce the tax base. Because if you're very wealthy, you have little need for governmental services. If you're somebody trying to start out and carve out a space from modest circumstances, the government should be your friend. So the GOP, let's be quite clear, is the party of wealthy people. They don't like government because bigger government requires more taxes. Indeed, in 2001, Grover Norquist, who is an anti-tax operative, had a pithy quote to the effect of, I don't want to abolish government. I simply want to reduce it to the size where I can drag it into the bathroom and drown it in the bathtub. And I can't imagine a more effective description for Republican governance, or should I say non-governance, because the Republican Party is really not interested in governing. It is simply interested in keeping its financiers happy with tax reductions, with regulation elimination. So if you're a big, ugly, old polluting industry, one of the cheapest ways you can increase your bottom line 
is through the elimination of pesky regulations that cause you to actually have to keep the air clean for the rest of us. And finally, the third leg of the Republican stool, divisive social issues. These are these hot-button issues that are used during election season. So for now, we're probably going to be treated to, in this upcoming midterm election season, issues along the lines of the presence of LGBTQI material on school curriculums. This is what gets out the foot soldiers and the Republican Party to vote. And so once you understand those three legs, you really understand the GOP approach to non-governance. It really shouldn't be called the Grand Old Party. It should be called the No Governance Party. Now, in the next episode, I'm going to talk in a little more detail about the Republican coalition that I kind of alluded to in this episode. But for now, thank you for listening. This is Martin Nutty. You've been listening to Nutty in NYC. The music you're listening to was composed and performed by Leah Rankin. For more on Leah, please visit her Instagram page. That is L-E-A-H-R-A-N-K-I-N on Instagram. <laughs>